Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Hi everyone, you have me this week. I am bringing you a very special recording which comes from a live event which I spoke at very recently. I was invited by Veronica Morgan of Good Deeds Property Buyers to uh, speak on all things Strata at her event held for her special clients. Veronica's name is probably familiar to many of you long-time listeners. She's uh, becoming a bit of a regular guest on the podcast. Episode 55, Veronica joined us to talk about why strata purchases should work with a buyer's agent. And she came back for episode 115. That was an episode with Rena as well, where the three of us spoke about the uh, rookie strata errors that some purchasers can make when they are new to strata and the things to look out for when you're buying your first Strata apartment. And more recently, episodes 132 and 135, I brought you Rena's interview and then my interview on Veronica's own podcast. Her property podcast is called The Elephant in the Room. And those two episodes gave you a little bit of insight, uh, perhaps into the more personal side for Rena and I when it comes to uh, living in and working with Strata schemes. And I do recommend those episodes for anyone who's looking for something a little bit different, perhaps. Uh, Veronica's podcast talks about the parts of the property sector and the property buying and selling world that others don't talk about. So they call out the elephant in the room. Check out that property podcast if you're looking for another one to add to your list. Now, as you would have heard me explain on those earlier episodes, uh, Veronica is the co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. She is also a real estate agent, uh, a buyer's agent, and as I said, her company is called Good Deeds. Now, uh, having been invited to speak to her very good clients at this special evening, all about Strata, her team was kind enough to let me record that evening, and I am now bringing part of that evening to you. In particular, the uh, hot questions and answers that were asked on the night. And I've picked out some of the questions that I think you will particularly enjoy and get a bit out of. I'm going to splice in my questions to make sure that those are clear because otherwise they're not very clear from the audio that we've got from the floor and then cut across to the answers. So I've picked out nine questions in particular that were asked and answered on the evening. The first question related to an owner's corporation's duty to repair and maintain common property. And this guest asked, what if the building is trying to repair and maintain, but for whatever reason, they're just not getting the job done. So here's my answer to that one. The duty is what we say as lawyers, strict. It's a strict duty. So there's kind of no excuse. It's like when you're speeding 
and you say, uh, we again as lawyers say, you have strict liability for traffic offences. It means it doesn't matter if you didn't mean to. It doesn't matter if you were going to the hospital because your wife is in labour. It doesn't matter that um, you had a really bad day. It is, is a strict liability offence. Similarly, the owners corporation has a strict duty to repair and maintain the common property. It doesn't matter that they don't have enough money. It doesn't matter that they couldn't get access to the property. They should have gone to the tribunal and sought an order for access. You can force a lot owner to give access. The section 106, the only thing it does say, which might get you out of the pot water, is that you're relying on somebody else. So you're waiting perhaps for a, uh, it's, it goes to developers and building defects. If you can't deal with the issue because you're in the middle of a building defects claim and to go in and fix it would be to destroy your evidence in the building defects claim, then that's one of the only excuses for failing to fulfill that duty. They generally won't order you how to get the money. They will just say, do the work and they will put a time frame on it. Matter for you to comply with that order. The next question that was asked was by a person who is in the market to buy a strata property. And this person asked me, what would I recommend they do when they're investigating potential strata properties to buy? What inquiries do I recommend they should make? Here's my answer. Really good question, and it's something that we talk about a lot on the podcast. I'm pretty sure our both of our episodes with Veronica, we've had her on twice now, we have spoken about exactly that issue, particularly in her capacity as a buyer's agent. So if you jump on the website and uh, find Veronica's smiling face there in the list of podcasts, that's a good place to start. You need to be inspecting the books and records of the owner's corporation. If the building is managed by a strata manager, the records will be held at that person's office. And if you're looking at your contract for sale, it will have their details on the bottom of the front page. So you ring them up, you say, uh, I'm interested in purchasing this property, I'd like to make an appointment for an inspection. You can get professional strata searchers to do the job for you. So these are people who, that's all they do, they go in and inspect records, they've got a template checklist generally that they go through and say, yep, there's the certificate of title, there's the insurances, there's the minutes of the last meeting. They'll copy a few things for you. They might give you a general comment as to, oh, there's no tribunal proceedings. Everybody seems to like each other. Uh, they comply with the legal requirements. It can be helpful. It's often a good start. I have seen more and more so uh, vendors, so people who are selling, are getting these reports done themselves, paying for them, and then giving them to purchasers. I find that kind of crazy that a purchaser would then rely on something the vendor who's trying to sell them the property tells them about the property. If you can, I recommend you go in and look at the records yourself. And I appreciate that not everybody has the knowledge and the experience that I have in knowing what you're looking for, but part of it is common sense. You look, you, you've got emails there of strata committee members talking to each other about a problem. You're looking for any reference to your number lot 15 that you're interested in buying. Has there been plumbing issues? Is there a wide scale balcony refurbishment project about to happen? It's gonna cost $4 million and everyone's gonna to have to pay a $30,000 special levy. That will be in the minutes of meetings. So on one view, it's not technical stuff. So you've got the time, go in and have a look at it. Your really best bet is to engage a strata lawyer not a conveyancer, not a property lawyer, a strata lawyer to go and do that job for you because we will understand what we're looking for and be able to pull out things that yourself, strata searchers, conveyancers may not be attuned to. So that's definitely your first step buying a strata property. 
When buildings change strata managers, there is a requirement in the legislation that all records be transferred. So they should be following, the records should be following the building and there shouldn't be records left with a former managing agent. The reality is you either go to do your inspection and the old stuff just isn't there, they don't have it, or they only pull out the last 12 months. And I do this all the time. It's something that often when I have lot owner clients come to me with a problem, I say, step one, we're doing a strata search because it will tell you more than what is being discussed at meetings and you'll get a few insights. And I go and I'm given the last 12 months and that the legislation says that you must have seven years, you must have, the, the list is very long as to what you must have. There's a podcast episode on this and they almost never provide it all or they don't provide uh, emails because they say, oh, well, that's electronic well, you're entitled to look at electronic documents. So my suggestion is go in understanding that there could be stuff that's missing. And something I think I mentioned when we were chatting to Veronica on the podcast was um, when you're at the open for inspections, ask if you see other residents. And we all know, everybody goes in Sticky Beaks. I go Sticky Beak with my guy upstairs when he's selling. And you can pick out who they are. Oh, no, I'm just Sticky Beaking. I'm from number 37. Go and talk to that lady from number 37 and say, hi, I'm really interested in buying this. Is there anything I should know? Oh, it's a lovely place. I've been here for 30 years. We don't, Bill manages everything. We don't have a problem. Oh, we did have that issue, you know, where the carpet was sodden one morning. I think that was two weeks ago. Anyway, I'm sure that's fine. You'll get sort of insights in that other creative way. So if you're aware that there's stuff missing, try and think, look, I'm about to drop a lot of money on this. Where else can I get this information? This next question... A good one, how to deal with a difficult serial complainer in Strata. Here's what I had to say. A couple of months ago, I had a webinar which was titled How to Combat Bad Behaviour in Apartment Buildings. And the webinar was all about, believe it or not, bylaws. How to use bylaws to combat bad behaviour. And quite a popular topic of discussion within that was the power of a communications bylaw. So I don't know if you have this in the, in the strata committees that you're on in the schemes, but there is a bylaw that says something along the lines of everybody must communicate courteously, politely, and within a set of guidelines that are set by the strata committee. So we will not respond immediately to correspondence. We will table it at our meetings. If your communication is um, not courteous or not polite, it will not be responded to. You could even limit people to you know, one email per week if you felt that the need to do that. And there's a, a Queensland case to this effect where this was used really successfully. It's called Tank Tower case, if you want to look it up. The tribunal can say, um, ma'am, pull your head in. This is not the, an appropriate way to communicate with the strata committee. And in the Queensland Tank Tower case, they actually limited the person to only communicating by post, only sending no more than one page, and only communicating uh, once per week or something like that, which was quite powerful for this person who was vexatious and difficult. So think about other bylaws. So there's a quite a helpful model bylaw. When I say model bylaw, it's the bylaws that are in the legislation and most buildings have these. I think it's bylaw six and it's about behavior on common property. So uh, behaving in a manner that causes offense or embarrassment to any other owner, resident or person lawfully using the common property. That bylaw sounds like, I quote that bylaw, all the time in bylaw breach notices. So sending her a notice to comply, you're probably across what that means, a notice to comply with a bylaw, they don't comply, straight to the tribunal for a penalty of up to $1,000, which is payable to the owner's corporation. So characters like that, who are sort of consistently difficult, yeah, you might need to go down that tribunal path. 
This next question was about maintaining the strata role and in particular the strata manager for this person's building was not keeping the strata role up to date and was also saying that this owner was not permitted a copy of the strata role and could not communicate with other owners. We've heard that one before, haven't we? Here's what I had to say. So in case you're not across the terminology, the strata role is the document that records all the owner's names their contact details, their address for service, their email addresses, if they've got a tenant in, the contact details for the tenant, the real estate agent if they're using one, the mortgage if they've got a mortgage, so who the mortgagee is. It's a document that you must keep under the legislation. It must be kept up to date. Whenever a property sells, then the lawyers or the conveyances doing the sale must notify the strata manager. Whenever there's a new tenant, must notify the strata manager so the strata role can be updated. So what we're hearing here is the strata role is not being kept updated. It is a function of the secretary to do that. So if you're the secretary on your committee, then you're thinking, oh, well, I'm in breach of my functions here. Number one, it sounds like you've delegated that to the strata manager. So you're not going to be at fault here because you've delegated that task to the strata manager and they're not doing it. So don't worry too much about that. But I hear again and again that the information in the strata role is private and nobody can access that information. And if you do a strata search, you're not allowed to look at the strata role. You're not allowed to get everybody's email addresses if you want a campaign perhaps to be elected or to change management. That is crap. Okay, that's my polite word that I just had to think about. That is absolute crap. Technical legal term. We have a tribunal case that says that, that it's crap. There is no privacy law that's relevant. There is nothing to stop you knocking on Fred next door's door and say, hi, Fred, do you mind if I get your email address? Not a problem. Absolutely not. So I hear it again and again from strata managers. I have an episode on this and I want to say the case is Leg, L-E-G-G-E, and I quote that case consistently that that is the case that says no privacy in a strata role. And of course, it must be kept up to date. It might even be a penalty provision in the Act. So if you look up, if you're used to looking up the legislation, the section that says you must keep the strata role, it'll say in fine print, a civil penalty applies. So if it's not done, there's actually a fine that's payable by the strata manager. So I would be quoting that to them and saying, you want me to make an application for a fine? Or are you going to keep the strata role up to date? Who's got the right to see the strata role? Okay, so owners, owners or their authorised representatives. So in the case of when you're selling, what you do, what the owner generally does is issues an authority and direction to anyone who is a prospective purchaser of my lot, they may come and inspect the role or their representative or their lawyers so their, um, or their strata searcher. So as long as the owner has allowed it, then anyone can. This next question, what's happening in relation to pets in New South Wales? Here's my answer. We have had two cases. One, uh, the Yardy case, Y-A-R-D-Y, that came out in February this year but was only reported at the end of August for some strange reason. We couldn't read it until the end of August but we knew it was out there somewhere. That is the first case that said a bylaw banning pets is harsh, unconscionable and oppressive and therefore invalid cannot have a bylaw banning pets. This concept of harsh, unconscionable or oppressive is new. It came in without new legislation. Previously, you could have bylaws doing whatever you want, really. And Cathy Sherry, who's an academic in this area, she's written a very clever book and she's from the University of New South Wales. She had, has a, a quip where she says, prior to this harsh, unconscionable or oppressive, you could have a bylaw banning you from eating meat in your lot. 
because bylaws only had to relate to lots and common property. That was it. There are a few exceptions, can't ban children, can't restrict leasing, can't ban assistance animals, but otherwise you can pretty much do whatever you want with bylaws until now. So we have to be very careful. I'm telling my buildings, go through your bylaws, make sure there's nothing cuckoo crazy town in there. And I think a bylaw banning pets is going too far. You can have a bylaw that instead has an application process where each case is considered on its merits and they're the kind of bylaws I draft. So we've had the Yardi case say that, bylaws banning pets no good, and we had uh, an unreported case, but I had a contact who sent it to me, the McCormick case, which was only beginning of October, and it was a case where they had a bylaw that permitted pets with approval, but the approval was withheld. And this owner said, that's unreasonable, I should be allowed to keep my pet. The tribunal said, yes, you're right, you can keep your pet. And also, even if this bylaw banned pets, I would have allowed you to keep your pet because a bylaw banning pets is harsh, unconscionable or oppressive. So I just had a, someone call me today actually wanting to overturn their pet ban as well. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these. If you want a pet in your building, now's the time. At our last general meeting, I had our bylaws changed and we're getting a dog next year. Very exciting. <laughs> next up, of course, we couldn't get away without a short-term letting question. Where do bylaws governing short-term letting currently stand? Can a building ban what we call short-term letting or Airbnb? It's been a really hot topic in New South Wales for the last 12 months and nobody's been really sure. We've had some kind of weird cases come out of the tribunal that say, no, you can't ban Airbnb. Lawyers who understand strata law have looked at that and said, um, no, we don't agree. We've had a privy council decision from London, and we very rarely get those anymore for a, a strata building in the Caribbean, which has identical legislation to New South Wales in this Caribbean island. Their bylaw was upheld that was banning Airbnb. So that was over Christmas last year. So we all got really excited saying, yes, we can ban Airbnb. The tribunal a few months before had said, no, we can't. The government has now stepped in and we have legislation which has been passed but has not commenced. This legislation says that if you are an investor owner, you don't live there, this is not your principal place of residence, the owner's corporation can, with a bylaw, ban you from short-term letting, okay? Real questions around that. How do you prove principal place of residence? We've got clever owners. That means they can you know, live overseas for six months, rent it out for six months. The other part of the legislation says if you are a resident owner, if you want to rent a room and you're there, do that as much as you like, no probs. If you want to go to France for four weeks and Airbnb for that four weeks, no probs. So resident owners have a maximum 180 nights a year to short-term let, okay? So that's given us a bit of certainty around this, which is great. The reason the legislation hasn't started and we don't think we'll see it start till this time next year probably, is because part of the legislation introduces a code of conduct for people who are letting their apartments out for short-term rental. So the code of conduct goes to things like excessive noise and parties and damage to common property, and there's a two strikes and you're out system. So if you breach that code of conduct twice, then I'm not sure what it is because I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't been uh, drafted. Then you can be banned from short-term letting for 12 months or two years, something like that. So that's all, all that helpful, useful stuff is still being worked out. So we're kind of in the position where I think we were at the beginning of the year, which is, I think you can have bylaws that ban short-term letting. 
provided it doesn't go against your planning instrument. So your council development consent, some councils will say this building is approved for service departments. So you can't ban them because the council development consent is going to override your bylaws. So always look at that. If you want to deal with short-term lending, always look at your planning instrument first and then go and see a, a strata lawyer about drafting a proper bylaw. Building to come to me now, I'm saying, well, let's wait and see what this new legislation, particularly the code of conduct, is going to say because we might have to just change your bylaw again next year. But if you're really desperate, generally, yes, I'm confident in saying that most buildings subject to planning controls can ban short-term lets. And when I say short-term, it's less than 90 days. Next question, a nice technical one. What happens when there are short-term residents and the strata roll needs to be updated? How is that handled? Here's my answer. There is no exemption from having to notify under the Act if there's a new tenant. So technically, an owner who is short-term letting should be notifying the strata manager every time there's a new tenant in there. Uh, it's called a tenancy notice. It's Section 258 of the Strata Schemes Management Act. Again, it's a penalty provision. And I think the penalty is, I looked at this two days ago, the penalty is payable by the landlord. If they don't notify, then they're subject to a penalty. It's 500 bucks. And you know, obviously it has to be pursued through the tribunal, but sometimes just quoting that to somebody is enough. Next up, question on everybody's minds, how do we deal with owner apathy? It's interesting to hear, you think you strata manager is pretty good because you can get a hold of them. That's kind of where our standard is at. Um, so that was my first thought. If, if personally you're finding the burden a bit too much, uh, and I know until I got to my new building where I am now, the committee there was finding the burden a bit too much until I pointed out to them that the strata manager was not doing his job. And so we need to appoint Rena, which is what we're doing in two weeks' time. So think about, um, is there something the strata manager could be or should be doing to lighten the load for me? If it's stuff on site, you might not be big enough, but maybe worth getting a quote for a part-time building manager who maybe comes by twice a week. And then you know, okay, there's a problem with the garage door. Todd's here every Thursday at nine. That's his job to do because I don't want to deal with garage doors either. So we've got a building manager. It's difficult when there's majority investor owners. Maybe propose raising a really big special levy and then they all come to the meeting. <laughs> Money talks. Money talks. And finally, this was a question from the floor from Veronica herself. What if you're buying a property that has a beautiful garden terrace and you're concerned about whether you own that garden terrace and whether there might be some privacy issues in terms of people overlooking your terrace? What should we do about that? Here was my answer. In that kind of a setup, and it could be a courtyard, it could be a deck, it could be a garden, it's really important to look at the strata plan. So start with the plan, and this is where you need somebody who kind of understands how to read these plans, but also it's not too hard if you're standing there at the property yourself and you sort of turn upside down like I do, which way is north, and to see where the boundary is between the lot and the common property, and that's marked by a thick black line on our plan. So what Veronica said is, this is very clearly common property, but we're being told that we can use it because the current owners use it. You need to check the bylaws and see if there is what we now call a common property rights bylaw, which gives you the right to use that area to the exclusion of everybody else. So if you have that right, then it is just for you and they cannot change that bylaw without your consent. In limited circumstances, the tribunal can make an order revoking that right. Um, so that's something to be aware of. But generally, if that bylaw is there, then you've got the right to use that space. And also look closely at the bylaw, if it exists, what else does it allow you to do or prevent you from doing that space? Can you plant trees? 
Can you put up fences? Can you put up lattice? Can you build a shed? Does it say anything about that? If it says nothing, then the lawyer will tell you, yeah, go for it, do what you like. If it says only for the maintenance and upkeep of the garden, any other structure must seek approval, something like that, important to look at the fine print, especially if you're concerned about privacy and you've got a real estate agent, for example, saying, oh, well, you can just put a tree there or you could just you know, put a pergola out there. The amount of fights I've had about pergolas, make sure you check whether or not you are entitled to do that. And again, it's probably going to be a strata lawyer who understands the ins and outs of these bylaws who's the best person to tell you that. And that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to reach out to me, amanda at yourstrataproperty.com.au. If you particularly like something, if you have a question that perhaps Rena and I can answer in our wins and challenges episodes, we always like to hear from our listeners. And if there is a particular topic that you might like me to cover in a solo episode, I do like to throw in some solos every now and then, and I'd love to hear from you. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?